God's compassion is on full display as a barren woman rejoices in the birth of a son, a son who would become the next great prophet of God, on The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. There's something about God embedded in the cycle of the judges that we can't miss. Something that gets to the very heart of God for his people and for the world. God is compassionate in the midst of his people's distress. So often people think of God in the Old Testament as this entity standing afar from the world, looking at all the things he wants to punish. Every time something happens, bang, judgment. Israel complains, judgment. They disobey, judgment. Achan takes some money in a cloak at Jericho, judgment. Israel worships the Baals, judgment. The people intermarry with the Canaanites, judgment. We can reel from the seeming harshness of God against the people whom he chose to deliver from Egypt, to bring them to the promised land. We can perhaps glaze over, reading the many laws that he gave his people through the prophet Moses. But if we think of God in this way, we're missing something fundamental, all the way from the beginning of the Bible. The penalty of sin is death. That was and remains the penalty for sin, spiritual and eventual physical death. If we keep that in mind, we change the lens through which we understand God's actions with the nation of Israel. While he could justifiably destroy every person in the nation as they sin against him, he doesn't. He delays the ultimate judgment in favor of more localized, smaller-scope judgments on the people. His seemingly harsh reactions to the sin of the people are actually restrained judgments. God's holiness is offended and violated when sin exists anywhere in the universe. Yet God's compassion drives his patience towards his people and toward humanity at large. He didn't tell Israel to destroy the people of Canaan until they'd rebelled against him in sin for over 400 years. He didn't destroy Israel, despite all of its rebellion in the wilderness. He didn't cut them off from the earth when they refused to enter the promised land. He didn't utterly destroy them for making a covenant with the Gibeonites. He didn't even carry out rightful judgment on them when they continually did evil and rebelled against him in the time of the judges. In fact, when we step back from the pages of the Bible, and just look at the story so far. We see an amazing story of God, who makes known His holy and righteous standards. We see humans who always fall short. And we see God's mercy upon them by not destroying them completely upon their first sin. The heart of God is a heart that rejoices in repentance, in turning toward Him, in turning away from sin, in trusting Him and in loving Him. It's no wonder that Moses and Joshua emphasized that God wasn't a God merely to be obeyed, but Yahweh was to be loved. He wants the hearts of his people and will mercifully give them opportunities to turn to him. The story of the judges is perhaps less a story of the rebellion of a nation and more a story of the patience and mercy of God. A God who continually has compassion on his rebellious people when they cry out to him in their distress. A God who waits 
and waits for his people to turn back to him. And God is not just compassionate to people collectively. He's especially compassionate individually. And today we're going to meet a woman who needs compassion. She needs God to move nature for her. She's a barren woman who simply wants a son. A woman who ends up singing a song about the great compassion of the Lord and the great triumphant coming king. Hannah has wanted a child for years. She's seen how Elkanah's other wife has had child after child, sons and daughters, while Hannah herself continued to be childless and barren. But more than that, the other woman added insult to injury. She would make fun of Hannah and taunt her because she couldn't have any children. And Hannah would resort to weeping in her depression for lack of a child. She'd even refuse to eat because of her distress. Her husband, Elkanah, did try to encourage her. He treated her tenderly and loved her, but he couldn't do anything about the lack of children. It's not like they hadn't tried. Yahweh had just made her unable to conceive. Elkanah was a good man and devoted to the Lord, so much so that he would make annual sacrifices to the Lord at the tabernacle, where it was set up in the town of Shiloh. He would take his two wives and his children and bring them to the place to honor Yahweh by sacrificing some of his flock to the God who provided all that their family had. It came about that one year after Elkanah completed the sacrifices and his family had eaten, Hannah decided to take a time of solitude to speak to Yahweh about her childlessness. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah is bitterly distressed and weeping before God in prayer as she desperately makes a vow that if the Lord gives her a son, he will be dedicated to Yahweh and that he will be a Nazarite with no razor ever cutting his hair. She prays knowing that God has the power to answer her prayer with a yes, if only he would. Meanwhile, Eli the priest, an old man who lived in the tabernacle complex, looked upon Hannah as she prayed, and he thought that he was going to have to deal with a problem. It looked like the woman had been drinking a little bit too much. Next we read this. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Eli is surprised to find that Hannah wasn't drunk as he assumed. She was just pouring out her heart and her desires to God. 
She was distraught and was praying to the only one who could help her in her distress. She was asking God for compassion. She was asking for a son. Eli sees her sincerity and essentially says amen to her request, praying that the Lord will indeed grant her request for a son. And God's answer comes soon after the family has returned home from these annual sacrifices. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. God answers her request and grants her a son. Finally, a son. Now she would not be ridiculed by the other woman. Now she could see her effect on a future generation. She finally had the unmatched joy of raising her own baby. The sadness was gone, replaced only with happiness. Hannah enjoyed a year or two with Samuel until he was weaned. But as a woman faithful to her vows, she soon came back to the tabernacle to deliver the baby that she had dedicated to Yahweh. Here the child would grow up, in the presence of the sacrifices, near the Ark of the Covenant. He would learn about the priesthood, and he would study the law that God had given the nation. And all the while, Hannah would continue to visit as he grew up into a man. Soon the time came to leave Samuel at the tabernacle, and they made a great sacrifice before giving the boy to Eli for him to continue raising him. We read this in verse 25. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the child to Eli. And Hannah said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Hannah had experienced the compassion of God on her. For years and years she had prayed and wept, and God had finally given her a son. While surely this parting was bittersweet, the sweetness overwhelmed the sadness. Hannah had a son. God had provided for her. Driven by her continued joy, Hannah again prays in this moment, a prayer that encompasses not only her experiences, but comes to be a prophetic prayer of coming days for her son and for Israel. In Samuel chapter 2, she prays this, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread." But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. 
the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You'd think that Hannah's prayer might be full of the warm and fuzzies, reminiscing on the birth of her son and her first months with him. You might guess it would be a prayer that looks back on her experiences and recounts them. But here this prayer is less about her and more about God. She worships Yahweh for who he is, what he's done and what he will do. She tells of his magnificence, of his strength, of his power to lift the humble and bring the mighty low, of his power over life and death, and of his care for his people. Hannah simply honors God for who he is and for his compassionate character, going so far as to give a barren woman a son that she had so desperately prayed for. But faithful Hannah ends with something great and forward-looking. She ends with anticipation that's continued to build through the Bible so far. She says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah speaks of that future king who will break all the nations and rule over Israel and the world. And her final line speaks of exalting the horn or the power and dominion of this anointed one. Hannah is the first one to use a term that will be used more and more from here in the Bible. She says that this king is the Lord's anointed or Messiah, referring to one who has had oil poured upon him, dedicating him to a special purpose for God, the Messiah, the one to whom the rule over the nations truly belongs. The seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, this great coming king will be the anointed one. He will be the Messiah. Hannah's prayer is a fitting beginning to the next epic in the Bible story, as it contains the major themes that we'll see in the book of Samuel. The humble lifted, kings anointed, God's deliverance. In this next epic, God would use her child. Samuel would be the tool in God's hands for the next transition in the nation of Israel. The priesthood in the tabernacle would transition families. The leadership of Israel would change from judges to kings. And no one would be better suited for this period than a new prophet of God. Samuel would be God's man. Samuel would be like the Moses to this generation of Israel. The little one growing up in the tabernacle will become the next great prophet of God. Join us next time as crisis engulfs the tabernacle. The priests go wild. The Philistines attack and the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023